You are listening to a sermon by New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, it's my delight to bring you God's Word this morning. As you know, we're in the middle of a three-part series talking about life together as a church, specifically about what we're trying to do through our shepherding ministry. And so I have the privilege of leading our second part of this series. Uh, Last week, as you know, Pastor Ted talked about the role that God has as a shepherd to us. God is our ultimate shepherd, especially through Jesus Christ. And today, I have the uh, delight to talk about how God uses under-shepherds, how Jesus calls under-shepherds, primarily the officers of the church, his elders and deacons, to also aid in the ministry of shepherding. Okay, it's not the most exciting topic, I'll be honest. I'll be honest, but I'm going to try to make this as not only informative as possible, but hopefully inspiring as well. That's my goal, so hopefully I'll be able to do that. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27. Exodus 18, verses 13 to 27 is our scripture reading uh, today. If you don't have your Bibles, it's also printed in your bulletin. As is our custom, if you would please rise uh, for the reading of God's word. Listen carefully, people of God, for this is the word of the Lord. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you that you did not leave us alone as orphans, but you came and rescued us. Thank you that you are the great shepherd who, who sought after and found us, especially through the grace of our Lord and, Je- Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we also thank you that you did not leave us alone, but gave us even under shepherds to serve under Christ. So Lord, we pray that as we learn more about this office and about these people, that you would encourage us to be more at peace and to trust you and our leaders as they serve us according to the word of God. So speak to us, Lord, we are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, stories are told all over the world of how sheep know their shepherd's voice, especially how sheep are fully known and fully loved by their shepherds. Listen to the story told by an observer of shepherds from the Middle East. Quote, sheep are named, known, and counted every day. It was remarkable how well the shepherds knew their sheep. As they were turning in for the night, the first thing they did was to separate all the mothers from their lambs. Then the other shepherds started to call each mother one by one and match her with the lamb. He knew every mother and every lamb. Now, he says, this shouldn't be too surprising. With only about 50 sheep, one could learn which lamb belonged to which mother. What was astonishing, however, was that all of this was done in complete darkness. The entire process of separating the animals, calling each mother, and handing the baby to its mother to suckle was all done in pitch black darkness. It was complete pandemonium to me. But to these calm shepherds, it was everyday procedure. He knew each mother and each baby purely by feeling their heads and their back. End quote. Sheep are truly fully known and fully loved by their shepherd. Now for us here at New Life, this story ought to bring back memories of wonderful wonderful passages like Psalm 23, doesn't it? This psalm expresses the intimate bond that, uh, that that the sheep have with their shepherd, with the assurance and security of being fully known and fully loved. Last week, as I said, Ted Ted mentioned, uh, reminded us of the amazing truth found in Exodus 13, about how God is our ultimate shepherd, leading us and guiding us, protecting us and providing for us, ultimately and preeminently through Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd of our souls. So now we turn five chapters later to Exodus 18, where one of of Israel's greatest shepherds is trying to shepherd his flock well. Unfortunately, it's too much for him to bear. He needs help. And in his calling to know and love the flock of God, he is absolutely worn out as he serves, as we read, from sunup to sundown. Thankfully, his father, often the source of much needed advice, through God's leading, proposes to him a new way of caring for God's flock. He says, seek and select godly and capable men to assist you in shepherding. And as you will soon see, the story, I think, provides a paradigm for the way God's flock here at New Life will also be fully known and fully loved through Jesus, I believe, the better Moses, as he calls under shepherds to assist in this great work of knowing and leading, protecting and providing. And so, flock of God here at New Life, because Jesus, the better Moses, 
provides shepherds for our souls, we can be at peace and trust in God, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Did you hear that? Because Jesus, the better Moses, provides shepherds for our souls, we can be at peace and trust in the process, even through trials and tribulations. And so let's take a look at how this story teaches this truth by looking at three things. First, we want to take a look at Moses' problem. Second, Jethro's solution. And then finally, draw some conclusions as we look at our resolution to the story, okay? So Moses' problem, Jethro's solution, and our resolution. So let's begin with Moses' problem. The story begins innocently enough, doesn't it? In verse 13, we read that Moses, as he probably did every day, sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So we see here Moses taking his place in front of God's people, shepherding them in various ways. Here specifically we read that he's called upon to primarily settle disputes that arise from doing, yes, even life together as the people of God. And sometimes doing life together as a flock with very strong-minded rams and sheep is not altogether easy. Think, for example, of how certain mammals decide who will be the dominant one in their group. They go so far as to ram their heads into one another to settle who is the alpha male. And of course, I'm talking about bighorn sheep and not the men in our church. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that the people of Israel, during their pilgrimage from their previous life of slavery in Egypt, as they're going to the promised land, actually experience conflict with one another, ramming their proverbial heads together in order to determine, I'm right, no, You're right. No, you're wrong. I'm right. And so the heads go ramming. So they make their way to their shepherd Moses in order to have their cases heard by him. Now, as we look over the story, along with the parallel passage in Deuteronomy chapter one, we see the beginnings of a judicial system instituted for Israel that will actually help them to be a much more wise people as they put their trust in godly servant leaders who, along with God's mediator Moses, will help shepherd their souls. Now, we read here, though, that the system at first wasn't all that great. We read in verse 14 that after surveying what Moses was doing, Jethro, his father-in-law, speaks a good word to him as he not only diagnoses the problem, but provides a solution. After telling Moses that he's not very wise, I'm I'm sure as a good father-in-law, he used other choice words. Wise Jethro states the problem succinctly and clearly in verse 18. Quote, you and the people with you, you and the people with you, will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you, you are not able to do it alone. Jethro immediately recognizes Moses' potential problem. And what is that? Burnout. For both Moses and for the flock. This is because being a shepherd requires a lot of work and, become, and can become easily stressful if not managed well. Here's another story about shepherding in the Middle East that gives you a picture of the stress involved. You see, shepherds spend a great deal of time watching their flocks. At first glance, this activity seems very passive, doesn't it? But watchfulness involves constant surveillance and active attention to what is happening or what might happen. 
They often try to anticipate as they take inventory over their flock. One researcher asked shepherds in the Middle East what they were thinking about during this process. Here's a list of things that they were watching over as shepherds. As they constantly surveyed and paid active attention to their flock. And think of what it means for your elders and deacons here at this church. Here's what the shepherds are doing. They're looking out for human and animal threats. They're assessing the weather, the vegetation, and supplies. They're checking for signs of dehydration, disease, and anxiety. They're inspecting the mothers, the young, and the sick. They're periodically taking a head count, making sure that one didn't disappear. They're asking such questions as, which animals need to be separated from the others because they're sick? Will that hoof heal? Why is that mother giving so little milk? Will that one give birth soon? Or is this the final year of that one? All this is part and parcel of shepherds watching over their flock. This kind of watchfulness is more than just a matter of seeing. It is also one of insight and instinct, perception and discernment, vision and oversight. Now, Imagine, if you will, the levels of constant surveillance and active attention that need to be given watching over the spiritual flock of God. In other words, at this rate, Moses was going, at the rate Moses was going, trying to do this by, them, by himself, it would be easy, wouldn't it, to experience the physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. He would be unable to meet the constant demand, feeling overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and utterly, oftentimes, inadequate for the task. Burnout is a real danger for leaders. Also, did you notice how Jethro described the potential burnout? In verse 18, he tells Moses that going it alone will be, quote, too heavy for him. This is a very interesting word. In fact, it's not the one you would normally expect in describing this kind of problem. And what's interesting is that this is the same word that was used just one chapter before. Do you remember what happened one chapter before in Exodus 17? It's the, we, it's the same weariness that Moses felt as he was watching over the battle between Israel, a war between Israel and the Amalekites. And every time Moses raised his staff and his hands, the Israel would start winning the war. But then he would get tired, tired after hours of holding up his hands. Imagine. So he put his hands down. And every time he put his hands down, the Amalekites started to win. So he's like, oh no, oh no, right? So what happens? His under-shepherds with wisdom and care said, Moses, they placed the rock next to him, sat him on the rock. And Aaron and Hur, his under-shepherds, held up his hand, one on each side. And so we read this remarkable statement in verse 14 in chapter 17. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. What a beautiful picture of doing life together as shepherds work together. And so burnout is a real and present danger, not just to Moses, but for all who serve in leadership roles. And so friends, whether you're a parent or a pastor, a Sunday school teacher or a session member, it's easy to get worn out in body and in soul. And friends, when that happens, not only can it hurt you, but even hurt those that you are trying to lead and shepherd and care for. And this is because when you're burned out, our care, whether it be our family at home or our flock here at church, 
When we get burned out, our, our care is not optimal, nor is it timely. Think about it. Moses is hinted at this in verses 20 to 22 when, he, when Jethro tells him to focus on his primary calling while leaving other cases to other godly leaders. Otherwise, what is, what is, what is Jethro implying here? If you try to keep doing this alone, you're going to be spread too thin, meaning your care will not be optimal and you won't be able to respond quickly to the emergencies that actually occur, meaning it won't be timely. So Moses needs to recalibrate his priorities as well as his proportion. That is, he needs to make sure he's committing both quality time, his priorities, and quantity time, proportion, to the right things that he's called to do. Otherwise, the entire flock will suffer, receiving suboptimal care in a manner that is not timely. And so bottom line for Moses and friends, even for some of your own leaders here, Moses and we have a potential burnout problem if we don't listen and heed the advice of God through Jethro here. And so as a result, many sheep were in danger of being neglected. And so without proper shepherding, there is no peace, especially in the midst of trials and tribulations and threats. So this was Moses' problem, potential burnout and it could be the potential problem of every one of us here. So now let's take a look at Jethro's solution to this problem. Secondly, Jethro's solution. After he tells his son-in-law that what he was doing was pretty stupid, potentially leading to burnout, that would cause him and his flock to suffer, he offers a two-part solution. It's simple and yet it's profound. Okay? First, he says, prioritize your work. I think we all need to learn that, right? Prioritize your work. And then secondly, share the burden. Or as Samwise Grandi, as we heard in the Lord of the Rings, share the load, right? Prioritize your work and share the load. In verses 19 and 20, first of all, Jethro gives the first part of his solution. He says, prioritize your work. And what is that? Simply, prioritize your work of prayer and preaching. Thankfully, Moses is already aware of this. Do you notice what he said back in verse 13? Notice Moses' level of commitment already to this. It's not that he's forgotten this. It's just that the setting is now different. In verse 13, we read that Moses sat to judge from morning till evening. Though it may sound like a reference to clocking in and clocking out. In Hebrew, this figure's speech is used to convey not only the enormity of cases before him, but also the level of commitment required for this shepherding task. In other words, Moses knew that the ministry of shepherding is not a nine-to-five job. But notice also, in verses 15 to 17, Moses knew what his priorities were. He actually tells Jethro what what he was actually doing. He says, as a shepherd judge, I'm to inquire of God and make known God's statutes and laws. Did you hear that? Make uh, Inquire of God and make known God's statutes. Or in other words, pray... And preach. And so when Jethro finally tells him in verses 19 to 20 to, quote, represent the people before God, but also secondly, to warn them about God's statutes and laws, he's reminding Moses. And frankly, reminding me as one of the shepherds of this church, he's reminding me to keep the main thing, the main thing. 
that is focused on praying on behalf of the flock here at New Life and preach and teach God's words so that impact impacts the way they live. Just a little side note here. Did you notice how this advice was phrased? Look at verse 20. Jethro says, you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Did you hear that? How they must walk and what they must do. Friends, the focus of the preaching and teaching ministry here, our Christ-centered, gospel-focused ministry of teaching and ministry is ultimately for holistic change. We're not trying to make you big brains that know Reformed theology. And while we're thankful for wonderful educational institutes like Covenant College and Westminster Seminary, ultimately we, we desire, like these actually schools do too, holistic change, a type of change that includes how to live. Thus the goal of Moses' preaching and teaching ministry, like ours, is the transformation of head, of heart, and of hands. But to do this well, he needs help, which leads to Jethro's second solution. Remember the first one in verses 19 and 20 was to prioritize your work. But then he gives the second part to a solution. He says, share the load or share the burden. That is, select godly shepherds from you to do the work of the ministry. He says in verse 21, to look for, this is really important, look for able men who fear God and are trustworthy. In other words, Moses needs to select men who both have competency and character. Okay? Competency and character, or in other words, ability and morality. First, what about this competency or ability? He, they, are, they, are, they, they need to be able men. That's the word that's being used. This word able men is often used in the Bible to, in military context, actually. It's actually used to refer to the strength needed to perform the appropriate military tasks at just the right time. And so in our context here, Moses must look for under-shepherds who have both, I believe, both the inner and outer strength to get the job done. This is more than just physical competency, and that's important. Having the right skills is important, but it's more. It's also having that, you know, that inner fortitude, that strength of conviction, what we call the integrity of purpose, right? That every soldier must have. That inner fortitude and integrity and strength needed not just to know and love the flock, but ultimately protect and provide, especially when they're in danger and even your own life is at risk. Skillful competencies are nothing without the foundation of strong convictions, especially in times of danger and threat. So Moses said, make sure you choose these kind of able men but they must also be trustworthy. What does that mean? That is, they must be men who fear God and live righteously. The language used here in the Hebrew refers to those whose reverence of God, listen carefully, reverence of God leads to obedience to God. These shepherds live before the face of God in such a, such a way that their confidence in God as well as their commitment to their calling, propel them to be men of integrity, humility, of truth, and goodness. They are shepherds who are willing to sacrifice themselves for their sheep, even at the cost of their own lives. Friends, these are the kinds of shepherds 
that Jesus gives to his church. This kind of reverence that leads to obedience. And this is, you know, as I hear this, I'm so convicted. Because I'm not sure if I do this well. And some of you are saying, yeah, Pastor Julius, you don't really do that well. But by God's grace, this is our calling to have this kind of conviction and fortitude that no matter what happens in our congregation, and we've been through some rough, rough waters this last 16, 18 months, haven't we? And yet, because we trust in the Lord and his sovereignty and his goodness and are committed to this calling, leaders here at this church can have this kind of strong conviction and lay down our life, lay down our lives for the sheep. This is your, these are your deacons and elders, friends. And both this competency and character is needed because the threats are real. Whether they come in the form of internal trials in our hearts or external tribulation in our lives. You see, as the dusk arrives in the wilderness, shepherds in the Middle East become more alert and anxious to these threats. You see, this is the time when threats to the sheep increase, though often they are rarely visible and barely audible. And among the predators that come out into the night, none are more dangerous than the wolves. Shepherds begin the evening by counting and then enclosing the sheep in a pen near their tents. And now, shepherds become vigilant in their protection, for the enemy is cunning and daring. Some shepherds will even stay awake the entire night, shouting, whistling, throwing stones in all directions while their dogs bark themselves hoarse. But these precautions are par for the course because the wolves are constant threats. Even if they are unsuccessful for one night or for one Sunday at church, they will come again. Strong competencies and sacrificial character are what's needed for all shepherds who must watch over the flock. And what's interesting is that the same problem and solution found here in Exodus 18, along with the language and even the concepts, is is what we find actually in the New Testament. In places like Acts chapter 6 as it describes deacons. And 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as it describes elders. You see, the early apostles of the fledgling Christian church in the first century were also getting burned out. With all they had to do. And so in words reminiscent of Exodus 18, we read this in Acts chapter 6. Listen. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, that is the apostles, summoned the number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice first the right priority, right? The apostles want to devote themselves to what? Prayer and preaching. But notice second, the right quality. The apostles share the characteristics necessary to be a shepherd both strong conviction, competency, as well as sacrificial character. So friends, this is Jethro's solution to all the shepherds. Wherever your shepherding may be, prioritize your work and share the burden. And so what's the result? 
Verse 23 tells us, right? If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people will go to their place in peace. That's a good word. That's a good result. Moses himself will be strong and the system will allow the flock to receive the proper care they need, not just to survive, but actually thrive. As new shepherds are introduced, the flock of God can be at peace, even in the midst of trials and tribulations and threats. And I don't know about you, but I need more peace in my life. And this is God's promise. You see, God's flock in the Old Testament and God's church in the New Testament cannot run properly or effectively without being led by men of sound judgment, great reverence, and personal holiness. They must have a strong commitment to and conviction of the calling to be shepherds of God's precious flock. But it begins with sacrificial character. And so we must thank Jesus, the chief shepherd of our souls, who, like Moses, gave us the gift of under shepherds, right? In Ephesians chapter four, Paul tells us about this amazing truth that what? Jesus did this, quote, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, as well as pastors, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's amazing if you think about it, that we would actually measure up to the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, new life, that's this is us, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds, builds itself in love. Thanks be to God. And to Jesus for giving us this gift of under shepherds. And so you may appreciate me. Yes. I'm teasing. Not really. But I thank God for all the shepherds. Not only here but in every church. Who have hopefully have this type of strong conviction. As well as sacrificial character. Which leads me to my third and last point. We've looked at Moses' problem. We've looked at Jethro's solution. Now, what do I mean by our resolution? Now, at this point, you may be wondering, why did I choose the word resolution? After all, didn't the story actually resolve? Moses had a problem. Jethro offered a solution. Moses obeyed, and everything turned out, and all is shalom, right? Everything's at peace. Well, yes and no. For those of you that have been in the new life for a good chunk of time, you know, right, that a lot of these Old Testament stories never fully resolve. It resolves in a temporary way, perhaps. But think, for example, of all the great prophets, priests, and kings, and shepherds of the Old Testament. Some of them good, many of them not so good. And we've learned over the years, through Ted's brilliant preaching, really, 
especially from the Old Testament, that all of these prophet, priests, kings, and shepherds, while good, are not ultimate. They all point to a need for a better prophet, a better priest, a better king, a better shepherd. Think now of this narrative, right? Moses, one of the greatest shepherds in Israelite history, leading the people of God to their exodus, away from bondage and slavery to the promised land. I mean, think about it. Not many leaders like him. For years he did this, decades he did this, leading and guiding, providing and protecting. And yet, as he stood on the precipice of entering into the promised land, as you well know, he didn't actually make it, did he? He, along with many of the first generation of Israelites that left Egypt because of their sin, actually died in the wilderness. They did not leave to see the promise of God come to fruition in their lifetimes. But wait, there's more. Even after they entered into the promised land and the conquest of Canaan, the Israelites continued to experience many trials, many tribulations, as conflicts characterized centuries of their history, whether it be wars and battles on their land or the trials and temptations in their hearts. Moses and his fellow shepherds could not fully protect them from the lions and wolves that continued to threaten their lives and their souls. We learn more about these kind of shepherds, especially in places like Ezekiel 34, don't we? Do you remember that famous passage? Let me read it for you. It's a little bit long, but I think it's really instructive. In Ezekiel 34, we have this description of Israelite shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, and you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So, they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Here we have one of the most meaningful and comprehensive portraits in Scripture of what ministry entails, not just for Israelite kings, but for all of us who are called to shepherd others. It lists the many ways in which Israel's shepherds utterly failed in their ministry to have strong convictions and sacrificial character. But thanks be to God, the chapter continues in verse 11 to reveal an amazing promise, right? God declares that he himself will come and rescue his flock. For God doesn't just have strong convictions and sacrificial character. God, especially in the person and work of his son, Jesus, has perfect convictions and perfect character. You see, in this passage, And in passages like Jeremiah 23, 23, we read the remarkable promise that God himself will come to love you, to lead you, to protect you, and to provide for you. And the scriptures through redemptive history teach that Jesus Christ is this good shepherd who in the fullness of time entered into our time, our space, our history to fulfill all these promises. How? By laying down his life for his sheep so that they would never again be hungry or thirsty, lost or dying.
And one of the main reasons we know this is because of Jesus' own words in John chapter 10. Here Jesus, I believe, intentionally echoes the imagery and the drama of Exodus 18 and Ezekiel 34 as he takes upon himself all the blessings as well as the curses of being the good shepherd. Friends, the one greater than Moses has come to shepherd our lives by not only laying down his own life for us, but also giving us under shepherds, your elders and deacons, to love you, to lead you, to protect you, and to provide for you. And this is why we can be at peace and we can trust in God even in the midst of trials and tribulations because our elder brother Jesus has given us other brothers who are called to shepherd us during our oftentimes difficult pilgrim journey. Now let me conclude by telling a story about strong convictions and sacrificial character between two brothers. This is told by a pastor from the Midwest. He says, quote, two brothers decided to play on sandbanks by the river's edge. Because our town depends on the river for commerce, dredges regularly clear its channels of sand and deposit it in great mounds besides the river. Nothing is more fun for children than playing on these mountainous sand piles, and few things are more dangerous. While the sand is still wet from the river's bottom, the dredges dump it on the shore. The piles of sand dry with rigid crusts that often conceal cavernous internal voids. The internal voids formed by the escaping water. If a child climbs on a mound of sand that has, been, that has such a hidden void, the external surface easily collapses into the cavern. And then sand from higher on the mound then rushes into the void, trapping the child in a sinkhole of loose sand. This is exactly what happened to the two brothers as they raced up one of the larger mounds. When the boys did not return home for dinner time, family and neighbors organized a frantic search. They finally found the younger brother. Only his head and shoulders protruded from the mound. Unfortunately, he was unconscious because of the pressure of sand on, the, on his body. And so the searchers began digging frantically to clear him. When they finally cleared the sand to his waist, he, he roused to consciousness. They shouted to him, where is your brother? Where is your brother? He softly replied, I'm standing on his shoulders. Because of his strong convictions and his sacrificial character, even to the point of death, the older brother had lifted the younger to safety. Beloved flock of God here at New Life, so too did the one who was not ashamed to call us his brothers Call us brothers and sisters. At the cost of his own life on the cross, Jesus, our elder brother, revealed the paradigm of leadership, the paradigm of self-sacrifice. And now, Jesus, your chief shepherd, calls all of us, not just the elders and deacons of this church, all of us who are called to shepherd one another. He calls us to the same paradigm of self-sacrificial shepherding. He is calling us to this kind of radical love where we think more about the other than about ourselves. So friends, flock here at New Life, let us all learn what it means to lift each other up on our shoulders even at the cost of our own lives so that every single member here would be fully known 
and fully loved. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to come before your word, your living and active word. And we pray that by your spirit, it would change the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we live. First of all, thank you for the peace that we have, knowing that you are the chief shepherd of our souls, that you have died and rose again so that we might have life eternal. Thank you for the peace, knowing that you are the better Moses that will ultimately take us into the promised land. And that promise is sure. May that overwhelm our souls, even especially when we go through trials, tribulations, and when we encounter threats. May we have the firm confidence, trusting in the promise that you will never leave us, nor forsake us us as the chief shepherd of our souls. But we also thank you for giving us the shepherds here at New Life, for our elders and deacons. May you grant to them the same type of strong conviction sacrificial character where we would especially serve one another with the same sacrificial spirit as we think more about others than about ourselves. And may we all Lord, not just the leaders of our church, but may every single one of us learn what it means to be these type of shepherds that care for one another in this way. But Lord, we cannot do it without your help. So Holy spirit, would you do so according to your goodness and your power? For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.